The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. So, gas prices at $5 a gallon... Joe Biden refusing to allow drilling on federal lands. Oh, there are many active oil leases that are unexplored. Yeah, sure they are, because the permitting process is an absolute nightmare. And as I said before, every time people talk to you about record profits, well, oil industry executives like many business executives in the aftermath of COVID are licking their financial wounds from COVID, and they're just trying to rebalance their out-of-balance balance sheets from forced reductions in their bottom line while people were forced to sit home during the pandemic. We also, if we ever get back to drilling and taking advantage of the natural resource blessings that God has lavished on our country, have a deplorable lack of refineries. So you can drill for oil, but if you don't have refineries in which you refine it into the various kinds of fossil fuels that are needed, diesel fuel, gasoline, jet fuel, and the like, well, that's also an issue. The CEO of Chevron is named Mike Worth. And Mike Worth recently was on CNBC and noted that there has not been a refinery in the United States built since the 1970s. Since the 1970s, almost 50 years. He said, we've seen refineries closed. When I began my career, there were more than 250 refineries in the U.S. Today, there's half that number. And refineries are also closing around the world. The question became... Well, then why don't you build more refineries? Seems like an easy fix. He said the Biden administration's policies puts the industry in a difficult spot because building a refinery is a multi-billion dollar investment. It may take a decade. We haven't had a refinery built in the U.S. since the 1970s. My personal view is there'll never be another refinery built in the United States because you're looking at committing capital 10 years out that will need decades in which to offer a return to our shareholders. Yes, they are business. Yes, they must practice good business practices to stay in business. He continues, in a policy environment where governments around the world are saying, we don't want these products to be used in the future, there is really a dilemma. Yeah, there is a dilemma. And does anybody find it odd, besides myself, that Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, is a major shareholder in an electric vehicle company and is always stumping for the creation of electric vehicles and adherence to wind and solar power? Does anybody find that interesting besides me? Madam Secretary, at what point does this, these prices, what point do they become unsustainable? And two, ironically, does this push us closer to renewable energy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the prices are unsustainable for many people right now. I mean, everyday citizens who are on fixed incomes paying huge amounts of money that they had not anticipated or budgeted for just to get to work, it's, it is unsustainable for many. And unfortunately, there's not a quick fix. However, your point about also accelerating our progress toward clean energy is very, very important. Sure it is, because if you do that, then my investment in an EV company will be worth more money. It's just really naked greed and ambition that is on display all throughout this administration. And, of course, rampant ineptitude as well. But never fear. Never fear, because Joe Biden is going to solve this gas price issue with a strongly worded letter. (laughs) <laughs> he, he's the king of the strongly worded letter. Remember when remember when Vladimir Putin was threatening to violate Ukraine's border and Biden kept issuing strongly worded statements? He's he's like president press release. Well, I mean, I can't blame him. He got elected president by campaigning from his basement by press release. So I guess he figures he can be president by press release, but his press releases didn't keep Putin out of Ukraine and They're not going to, I certainly can't imagine, they're going to make any difference in domestic oil production. So Biden sends this letter telling them, hey, you're making too much money. Your profit margins are, quote, not acceptable. Okay. Is he like, remember Trump? Trump was a dictator. Trump was a fascist. By telling oil companies that they're, profit margins are well above normal and, quote, not acceptable, unquote? Is Joe Biden telling the oil companies that if he if they don't do what he tells them to do, if they don't charge what he tells them to charge, if they don't settle for the amount of profit that he thinks, if he thinks, that he thinks is appropriate, that he's going to nationalize the oil companies? Does that bother anybody? It should bother everybody. But except for the dude from the Atlantic who wrote the True Believer piece. That Why don't people give Joe Biden any credit? Well, I give him credit for ruining our southern border. I give him credit for compromising our standing on the international stage with his inept an impotent withdrawal from Afghanistan. I give him credit for bankrupting middle-class and lower-class families with his gas prices. I give him a ton of credit, just not for anything you think he deserves credit for. So what did Biden's letter say? At a time of war, historically high refinery profit margins being passed directly onto American families are not acceptable. Companies must take immediate actions to increase the supply of gasoline, diesel, and other refined product. Who says you? Uh, why don't while you're at it, why don't you lower food costs? While you're at it, why don't you just outlaw inflation? Why don't you just tell every business they can't charge more? And why don't you tell every company they have to pay more? Right, the simplistic simplistic approach to economics and the economics of business. That Joe Biden parrots and that his acolytes endorse uh, 
reminds me of an old Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, back when, it's amazing, isn't it? How many times Jimmy Carter's name comes up in uh, comparisons to Joe Biden? Uh, back during the Carter presidency, I remember a <laughs> a skit on Saturday Night Live where they always have the actor who plays the president. Uh, Will Ferrell played a really good George Bush. Well, way, 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 way back in the day, Dan Aykroyd used to play Jimmy Carter. And Dan Aykroyd, on one famous skit, was talking about inflation is not a bad thing. Again, he's parroting Jimmy Carter. Inflation is not a bad thing. Inflation is actually a really good thing because if inflation continues at the rate that it was continuing, everybody, everybody would be soon making $100,000. Everybody. And everybody would be driving a expensive car. And, of course, this was a ridiculous point. But this is how Biden sounds when he talks about, well, you know, oil company, gas is $5 a gallon. They're making too much money. They shouldn't make that much money. They should make more gas, and they should charge less for it. Um, no, this doesn't work like a lost leader item on a Kroger ad. You know, lost leaders are the, you know, they charge you like, Two cases of Pepsi for six bucks, and you say, "Well, how can they make a? How can they make any money off two cases of Pepsi at six bucks? They can't, but they're counting on the two cases of Pepsi for six bucks getting you in the door, so you'll buy bread and milk and eggs and other items, so that the profits on the other items offset what they lost on the Pepsi." Gas is not a lost leader item for Exxon and Shell. You know, speaking of Mike Lindell and his amazing recovery from crack addiction, I'm sure that his Lindell Recovery Network uh, gives people the tools that they need, including the tough love that they need, to triumph over their addiction. It is inarguable that the tolerance of drug crimes in our country has ruined not just some of our best cities, but untold thousands of people's lives. Case in point, uh, Portland, Oregon. I mean, how many cities could we name here? Portland, Oregon, Seattle, L.A., San Francisco. It's just They're just open-air drug markets. People on the street in Philadelphia, Baltimore, on the, what do they all have in common? All Democratic managed. All compassionate. Oh, we're not going to put people behind bars for being addicted. Oh, we're going to get them help. Oh, since we can't get them help, what are we going to do? We'll decriminalize it. We'll decriminalize it. It's not a crime because you're addicted and you can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon. This number's staggering. How many people do you think are addicted in Portland and in the state of Oregon? One in five adults are addicted to opioids and other drugs in the state of Oregon. One in five adults. That is a staggering number. 
To what do we attribute that number? <laughs> we attribute it to compassionate Democratic policies. In November of 2020, boy, we did a lot of stupid things at the ballot box in November of 2020. Oregon voters overwhelmingly passed Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act got 58% of the vote to decriminalize possession of small amounts of hard drugs like heroin, meth, cocaine, and fentanyl. They became, instead of felonies, Class E violations, the same as a traffic ticket. Eh, run a stop sign, shoot up with meth. I mean, who can tell the difference? The fine is dismissed when someone who is caught calls a help hotline and completes a health assessment over the phone. Ooh, I'm sure they never lie about their situation. The idea is to connect drug abusers with services and treatment instead of putting them behind bars. Oh, because behind bars is cruel and unusual punishment. Also where they can't get more drugs, I might add. At least not as easily. What is the result of this policy? Ah, well, I already told you one in five adults in Oregon is addicted. Drug overdose overdose deaths hit an all-time high in Oregon in 2021 with 1,069, a 41% increase from 2020. Probably a coincidence, don't you think? Probably a coincidence. And very few people are going into treatment. After one year, just 136 people had entered treatment. Less than 1% of the people who were cited for the newly adjudicated misdemeanor. Another Democratic policy that did not work. Just last week, we had the recall of San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin. I would imagine that wherever Chesa goes, George Gascon, the L.A. city prosecutor, is soon to follow because George Gascon's recall effort has obtained enough signatures for his future as L.A. District Attorney to be on the ballot this fall. And I bet it's not going to help George Gascon any that two police officers in El Monte, California, were gunned down, murdered in broad daylight on Tuesday. Why will it not help George Gascon? I mean, bad people are going to do this, Bruce. How could you blame George Gascon? Well, because the guy who did it, Justin William Flores, had a long criminal record. A very long criminal record, including sentences to state prison that made it illegal for him to have a firearm. But in March of 2020, Mr. Flores was arrested and charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm. Well, certainly he must have gone to San Quentin and escaped and shot these two officers because he was on the lam. Mm, well, not quite. Uh, he pleaded He pleaded guilty. Guilty. He pleaded guilty in 2021 to being a felon in possession of a firearm, which could have sent him to prison for three years. Let's see. He pleaded guilty in 2021. Three years. Shouldn't he have been in prison? Yes, he should have. Where was he? He was in a hotel menacing his girlfriend, who he had stabbed the day before. Why was he not in prison? Why did he not get a three-year sentence? Because George Gascon, 
sentenced him to two years of probation and 20 years in jail. 20 days in jail, excuse me. I would have sentenced him to 20 years in jail. 20 days in jail. He did less than three weeks in jail. And so he was out. And so he stabbed his girlfriend. And so he traced his ex-wife to this motel in El Monte, California, where Officer Michael Parides and Officer Joseph Santana showed up on Tuesday to defend the honor of these two women who Justin William Flores was menacing And if you hear the audio, it is sickening how many times he shot these officers laying in ambush for them. George Gascon should lose his job over this. At the very least, I wish they could put George Gascon in prison for failing to steward his responsibility as L.A.'s district attorney. Officer Paredes was 42 years old, 42 He'd been a police officer for 22 years. He has a wife, a daughter, and a son. Officer Santana was in his first year on the force. He has a wife, a daughter, and two twin sons. Democratic policies do not work. Their tolerance of crime, their reclassification of things that are crimes into essential non-crimes, both end up with people dying. And we see it right here in our own city with our mayor and his civilian oversight review board and his city council and federal judge Algernon Marbley and city law director Zach Klein and council president Shannon Harden all doing every single thing they can to demonize police. And our city parks now have been the scene of five shootings in the last 56 days, four murders, four people wounded, none of them, none of them, not a one of them, over 24 years of age. So you get the leaders that you deserve because you get the leaders that you vote for, except for president where, as the movie 2000 Mules strongly suggests, things were fudged. So... Hopefully on another hot, miserable, humid day, the temperature will figuratively decrease and we will not have another violent night in the city of Columbus or violent afternoon because these crimes are happening in broad daylight now on the inept watch of Andrew Ginther.